Well, hello there. It is great to see you again and welcome back to another installment of Wisdom and Wealth, Pathways to a Life of Significance for You and Your Family. I'm your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff. And as always, we're joined by really the star of our show, Mr. Frank Astorino of the Astorino Financial Group. He'll be joining us in just a moment for another wealth management related discussion. That's the focal point of this show. We take those same conversations and strategies or solutions that Frank is, you know, working with his clients on over at the Astorino financial group and bringing them right to you on this show if you joined us on a past episode you know that we took a deep dive into the family dynamics surrounding wealth specifically the idea of preparing heirs for the day of that inheritance and what that means for them from in terms of conflicts and challenges that can arise but also the values that need to be transferred along the way today we're going to be kind of pivoting to a different topic but still staying in that same vein of family wealth but let's set the scene for you here one of the biggest issues facing affluent families today is to make sure that they manage their wealth so that it achieves a few different things so they want to make sure that they're growing their wealth of course and making sure that it is just like we said in the last episode transferred down to future generations of course they want to make sure that that wealth is aligning you know or rather they are aligning the use of that wealth to better achieve their goals goals and personal aspirations for the family. And then of course they want to protect that wealth, right? From, you know, any creditors or those trying to take it unjustly. Well, what Frank and his team have found at the Astorino Financial Group is that often the best place to start in addressing those issues is to make sure that the family members themselves are aligned and on the same page when it comes to the wealth itself. And there's a particular strategy that Frank and his team utilize that can help with just that. So let's go ahead and bring Frank on and dive right into today's conversation. Frank, it's good to see you. How you doing this morning? Very good, Ryan. It's always good to see you and talk about our favorite topics. Uh, how you doing? I'm good. I cannot complain. Got my cup of coffee here. I'm ready to dive into this with you. Um, Frank, we're talking about family wealth and us, we're going to get into a specific strategy here today that, you know, really helps align families better. But let's let's start high level for our audience here. In your experiences, Frank, what kind of unique challenges tend to arise when families who have wealth attempt to work together to manage those assets? Sure. Um, well, affluence can help families achieve great things and realize their shared vision, of course. But it also can create resentments and rifts that could potentially damage a family's financial position and cause estrangement among family members. When decisions about significant wealth involve multiple family members from more than one generation, typically, the opportunity for conflicts tend to arise greatly and magnified. Now we have been involved with many situations whereby several members of the family inherited wealth related to a business. As just one example, uh, one or more may have come into the business with varying degrees of skill level. The good outcomes are when the equity of the business can be segregated into voting and non-voting shares. Some may get a stream of income from the real estate owned, while others get growth of the business, their equity portion for their participation. All of the above that we discuss um, are, you know, requalifi require qualified legal and advisory competencies. Often there are imbalances of the perceived value and costs of an operation, and the risks are often underestimated 
particularly by those of the family members that are non-participating. So therefore, example would be cars and homes and material benefits are conspicuous. But they don't see, a lot of the members of the family don't necessarily anticipate or see how lawsuits or insolvency or divorce, unforeseen events that could burden the family and the heirs and even have greater losses than gain if not properly operated with the risk mitigation techniques that we might introduce them to. Does that, does that help uh, you with that question? Yeah, absolutely. No, it kind of sets the scene for us, if you will, as we get into today. So, so Frank, I, my next one would be if we could maybe dive into any specific wealth-related issues that maybe you and your team tend to see more among families with these significant assets. Are there any that pop up in your mind? Sure, but that depends largely on the amount of assets as well as whether the family is involved in the business, like we mentioned earlier. Some participate, some don't. Uh, but broadly speaking, as wealthy families grow and expand over time, one big issue is keeping them and their shared capital together. Sometimes the wealth remains commingled because of legal structures, such as irrevocable or revocable multi-generational trusts. However, family members who feel wronged in some way may ultimately take legal action to try to break such trusts creating still greater family disharmony and possibly jeopardizing the family's bottom line. We're working on cases such as these currently. And this is where the optics and the context for the origins of the wealth creation need some sharing and guidance from experts. The leadership and the communication skills are not always part of one's DNA. So we, we engage as many as uh, we engage doctors, counselors, lawyers, accountants, and, and often uh, sometimes life coaches uh, to help increase the family's awareness of how to mitigate some of these challenges. I love that, Frank. And, and we're, we're here today to chat about a specific strategy that you guys are, are utilizing with some of your clients and what you've found to help, you know, create and maintain these more harmonious, you know, situations and relationships within family. Let's talk about, you know, what can those families do to do that and make sure they are all aligned when it comes to their wealth and, and everyone's working well together. What, what can they do? Yes, this is close to my heart. Um, to avoid these and similar outcomes that we've seen through the years, we try to help and you know build and encourage family harmony. And one way to do that is we consider uh, creating a formal family constitution. Now, a family constitution can be an effective tool for dodging serious conflicts and facilitate facilitating agreement among family members. It can help family members address their concerns and preferences constructively. Often family constitutions also lay out the future directions and actions the family intends to take. This is an approach we see taken by many of the super wealthy of over 500 million and more with positive results. And it can help families of lesser affluence and wealth as well. So we've seen this um, like a Magna Carta or of sorts, a proclamation that can help the family revisit what they really stand for and what are the mechanisms to getting along on business and, and wealth matters. I like that Magna Carta analogy. That's a good one there, Frank. Uh, so, so 
in theory, this sounds uh, sounds great. It makes all the sense in the world. But let's get into the weeds here, Frank. How does a family constitution really better promote those, you know, familial relationships, especially when they're, you know, when you've got significant wealth at, at the table? Sure. So family constitutions start by recognizing that there is contentiousness in nearly all families. It's not abnormal. Family members will disagree and even fight. So family constitutions seek to spell out specific ways that the family can effectively address these conflicts that are almost certain to arise over time and across generations. One of the biggest goals of a family constitution is to prevent the types of family conflicts that can tear families apart and often just diminish their fortunes. Family constitutions, these Magna Carta types, um, are designed to de detail how a family will deal with dissent when it arises. When there is a specific method for managing and dealing with family conflicts, and those methods are well documented and described, a family can be very effective at reducing infighting, maybe even eliminating it. The whole point of the family constitution is to head off conflicts by promoting communication and striving for consensus among the family members around their core principles, their values, and their long-term intentions. It would be great if everyone agreed. Um, that's why it's important to have neutral objective counsel when putting these constitutions together. Sure thing, and Frank, my next question begs to be asked is, is how would you recommend that a family go about drafting uh, a family constitution so that it does achieve exactly what you just mentioned, those types of goals and outcomes that they're striving for in the first place? How would they go about drafting something like this? Well, after considerable thought and reflection and, and family sharing, a family constitution should, among other things, help your family address you know, the issues around its wealth. This could include assets such as the operation of a business, properties like real estate and art, art often comes into play, as well as invested wealth and other savings. So specifically, a constitution should specify the following, how the wealth is to be used by family members, what limitations there are on how the wealth is spent, invested and donated, who makes the decisions and how these decisions are made? How family members can provide input or impact to the decision-making process around the distribution and the use of such wealth. And finally, I would say how many, how would the family members be prepared to perpetuate family values and manage the family wealth? So I think in general, we need to include three segments of, of this planning. Who is defined as family? Some families include just a nuclear family or siblings. It could include or not include uh, spouses and those who marry into the family. Sometimes it involves prenuptial agreements. The second would be the ideology of the family. This is what spells out what the family stands for including its values and objectives. And then finally, I think it's the reasons that families want to stay together. It's the details, the rationale for managing the joint capital 
and the benefits of maintaining family cohesion. Factors such as love and concern, along with financial considerations, are usually part of this section. Frank, you had mentioned the the who, and that one strikes me as interesting. That who is defined as family. Uh, let's. I want to unpack that a little bit with you. Who from then a given family should be involved uh, in discussing some of these issues, and then you know going through the process of creating and ultimately drafting the family constitution. Who would that be from a given family? Um, I would say uh, the key decision makers across the family need to be involved and heard. It could be the eldest child, it could be, uh, you know, the, the father or the mother, it could be, uh, when you're developing these, these kind of decisions of the family constitution, it's necessary to have consensus among the family members. Who is that appropriate leader? that everyone might either look up to or see as the, um, you know, the peacemaker and, and the high level decision maker. Without having broad based agreements, however, the family constitution will likely not even be written. And if it is, it will likely be contested. So a family constitution should be written when family relationships are strong and they're not strained. That makes the consensus more likely. All of these parties should be motivated to reach some type of agreement and develop shared solutions. So regardless of the wealth status, um, families who even share an inherited vacation homes, as an example, I've, I've seen this in middle and upper middle class families where they inherited a great home, you know, in, in, down the shore. Now, that could also be appropriate for a family constitution. For instance, who's going to be responsible for the repairs? There might be different financial circumstances with each family member. Who's going to be able to afford the maintenance? How will these tasks be delineated and shared and who will occupy the vacation home and when? So these are the kind of things that, especially as the family expands and grandchildren come into play and cousins and nieces and nephews, who's, who's taking the lead on uh, making sure there's no disharmony? Yeah, no, certainly an important factor to con, you know, consider is that who is defined by the family. But Frank, one point of clarification that I want to make for our, our audience is about the formality of these family constitutions. Could you talk to us about how formal are these documents? Are they, are they legal binding documents or are they mainly just a, a firm set of guidelines and recommendations? Good, good question, Ryan. And I think you need to distinguish and people and clients need to understand the difference between a formal trust and a family constitution. You know, it's a written document. So it's, it's formal in that sense that it's, it's written and memorialized. However, it is only a set of guidelines and prescriptions. It is not in most cases legal and binding as a document that must be adhered to. Family members create their constitutions together and then hopefully pledge uh, to honor it over time. Roger that. So not necessarily a formal legal, you know, legally binding document, more of those guidelines and recommendations. Frank, we, we've spent a nice amount of time here today going through the process of of unpacking what what the Constitution is, how it can benefit people, really what goes into it and the decision making on who should be involved. But 
Do you have any other advice maybe for, um, you know, for families out there to help them, you know, ensure that the, the family constitution remains maybe relevant, shall we say, over time? Because, hey, let's face it, circumstances change, our lives change. Just look at the last few years we've all encountered. Any advice to, to help families go through that process of making sure it does stay relevant despite an ever-changing world we're in? Sure. I'll, I'll give a response to that and, and then even cite an example. You know, a huge thing to understand is the family constitution must be seen as a living document. It's organic. It's not static one and done agreement that you can create and then put in a file cabinet. It will likely be important to modify the constitution over time as the family circumstances evolve. You need to adopt a flexible approach so that certain family members can be given more authority over time as they get older and more trustworthy, for example. That approach will encourage family harmony over the years as situations evolve. An example that um, I remember early in my career is you know, we've given witness to family businesses that started out harmoniously with two siblings. And they each had families with an equal number on both sides as time went on. As the families progressed, one side of the family became more dominant and progressive and ended up spinning off unbeknownst to the other side into an international concern. When the disparities became apparent that tax, legal, and forensic discoveries became necessary, lawsuits ultimately prevailed. That makes it really difficult for holiday dinners. You know, when you, you know, when family used to get together for Sundays, um, you know, after you go through a lawsuit with a family member, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's really sad and, and, and tragic in many ways. So think of it as a living document and one that gets revisited as, as life transitions evolve and people's age and circumstances and perspectives even change. Sure, sure. Frank, there's a lot that goes into this from from just thinking about those values and concerns that matter to a family to drafting the Constitution and making sure it stays relevant so that everybody's heard. You know, there's a lot that goes into this process. So if if any family out there, anybody that's watching this today is maybe feeling a little overwhelmed, but they like the idea of the family Constitution. Let me ask you this, then, Frank, who could families turn to for just assistance with all of this from the process of identifying? the values to creating the document and then to revising and revisiting it over time with the family who who's in their court well we typically serve as a consummate quarterback uh, in these types of family dynamics you know we have uh, counselors we have doctors mds we have life coaches we even have behavioral finance experts that might weigh in on complex family dynamics. So we really try to incorporate what's needed at the time and what the level of um, conflict may be. Often this could arise out of social and political differences that make the conversations around money more complicated. We're seeing that a lot in this country, you know, right now where just viewpoints are, are dividing families. And sometimes you need someone to come in and unpack what the issues are and stay focused on what started the family constitution to begin with, what your overall values are that, that connect each other. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Frank, I mean, we've covered a lot today. Let's let's bottom line it really for our audience. What would you say are some of the key reasons that a family with significant assets should really be considering a family constitution in the first place? Well, a, a, a well-crafted family um, constitution should accomplish these objectives. Memorialize a family's principles and values. Second, I would say establish checks and balances among different interests, as well as ways to address conflicts and communication protocols, how we talk to each other. Uh, Third, I would say promote accountability of the family members. And finally, I would say ensure that there's flexibility so that the family can adapt to the change. This is at the heart of what the Astorino Financial Group does. It is why we do what we do. And you could even take advantage of a stress test or um, include a copious discovery meeting that could be invaluable to the family if you just take that first step. And speaking of that first step, Frank, uh, you know, there's we've talked about a lot. Uh, and it, yes, it starts with that discovery process, which we've covered in prior episodes on this show. And let's say anybody out there in the audience today, maybe they're interested in reaching out to you and your team to talk about their unique situation and how the family constitution might come into play for them. What would you say would be the best way somebody should get in contact with you or your office to open up a dialogue? Yeah, they shouldn't be shy about uh, going to our website and, and get our contact information, our phone number, our email address. Uh, there's no high pressure to having an initial consultation. So they can talk to someone in our office about what they need to bring. Um, it's, it's really non-invasive. And we would, we would welcome the opportunity to give them a first, first uh, impression of what might be appropriate. Fantastic, Frank. Well, hey, look, I appreciate you carving some time out of your day to be with us. You've got a company to run. We'll let you get back to your busy day. Uh, But again, appreciate you taking the time to jump into the family constitution with us. And I'm uh, looking forward to getting back together with you soon. Likewise, Ryan. Always glad to be here and we love what you're doing. Thanks for all your input. Alrighty, thank you, Frank. And hey, look, we want to take one final moment, as always, and thank you guys, our audience, for jumping aboard and being with us on the show today. If you guys liked what you saw, you benefited from any bit of the conversation today, do us a favor and hit that like button. Subscribe to the show on whichever platform you're checking us out on. And then, of course, share this information with friends, family, business owners, even anybody that you think would benefit from these types of conversations. Because I said at the top of the show, I'll say it again, we're taking the same same strategies and solutions that Frank is working with with his clients over at Astorino Financial Group and we're bringing them right here to you on this show. We've got some great topics that we're going to be diving into here in future episodes and we would hate to have you miss out on any of those conversations. So for Mr. Frank Astorino, I am Ryan Ruff. We're going to go ahead and say so long today but we appreciate you stopping by and being with us on today's installment of Wisdom and Wealth. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. No strategy assures success or protects against loss.